It's good. James, hey. I miss you. It's been a long time. I miss time. you too. You and Bob, I miss y'all. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've talked. And I know that both of us have been running. Um, Absolutely. But, but you've been you've been honored and I am so excited for that honoring. Um, yeah, thank so I, you. I kind of want to start there, but we're going to talk about the Treme Fall Festival coming up this weekend, but um, I want to talk about James Andrews and your honoring. I'm just so thrilled with, with that because gosh, we've known each other, what, about 40 years or something? <laughs> yeah, when I, a long time when I was a kid, huh? <laughs> I, I don't remember you as a kid, you know, I kind of a remember teenager. as a grown-up, to tell you the truth. A, you might have been a kid, but to a me, teenager. A, a fully professional, functioning musician. So, yeah, thank you. So even if you're a young musician, you're still a musician, and that makes you a grown-up. So I was a teenager. Tell me, tell me what it was like to feel honored. Oh, it was a great pleasure, and they honored myself my brother Troy and my mama. So it was a great honor that we got to honor my mama in a special way with the poster and Troy together with me and in front of our old house in the Tremaine. So it was a great honor. Okay, now wait, tell me about the house part. That I don't know about. Oh, they put the, he painted the house exactly how it looked when we was living there in the Tremaine. You're talking about on the poster. On the poster, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that, but that's lovely. I mean, it's 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 beautiful to honor not only you and your family and your mom, but your home. In yeah. Tremaine. I mean, I, I think it's so important for us to hold on to the legacy that people have whose families have their roots in that neighborhood way back. How far Absolutely. back does your do your roots go? Well, we go way back to the Tremere. We might be uh, four generations of Tremere or something like that. Four, I, wow. Mm -hmm. So four generations yeah, four could be generations. Like almost two centuries. Uh, something like that, absolutely. Wow. What is we that? Go way Tell me what that means to you? Tell me what that means to you, to have those deep roots in Tremere. Oh, it means so much to me. It's, uh, it's a wonderful feeling. Uh, growing up in the Treme, uh, we always had music at the house, all the family with the musicians and everybody used to stop by the house. We had so many great people that would come by our house, Tuba Fats, uh, yeah. uh, many musicians come by the house. And it means so much, they have the memories and the memories of uh, being in the Treme, Playing uh, with uh, James, hold on one second. Hey guys, you're you're um, overlapping the uh, the Zoom. Sorry. Sorry, you're overlapping the Zoom. Okay, now uh oh, now I'm muted. Now. Yeah, so hold on a second, James. Uh, I've gotten something messed up. Can you hear me? No, and he's muted. Jemima, I don't know what happened here, but you guys were talking. Nope. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, and I can hear you. All right, let's go back. To, uh, go back to what you were just saying. I was asking you, you know, what it's like to have those deep roots in Treme. Well, I said it was so much uh, fun growing up in the Treme when we had so many musicians would come to our house 
and play with us and practice with us and show us so many different things we learned. Oh, you know? Yeah. So we had so much fun growing up in the Treme when all the musicians would come to our house to uh, practice with us, rehearse with us, or show us new things. So we had so many memories of the, the old time second line and the jazz funerals and all the people, uh, the Mardi Gras Indians and our whole culture being right there in the Treme for so many years. Can you recall a particular person or group of people who had more influence on your shaping your music and your family shaping uh, the family's musical heritage that stands yes. out to you that, that we should call attention to? Absolutely. Well, first of all, my grandfather, Jesse Hill Upupadu, he was always at the house. And uh, we had, like I said, so many different horn players and drummers and everybody would come around. And Uncle Lionel Baptiste and Benny Jones from the Trimmy Brad Band, Roger Lewis, uh, Fred Kemp, Stackman, Elliot Collier, Frederick Shepard, and all, uh, all the musicians from the Dirty Dozen Brass Band, the Trimmy Band, and... Uh, uh, so many people who would come to the house, the Olympia band, and all of the older guys would come around and they would teach us many things, tuba facts. Tell me why um, they were coming to your house. Because we had, uh, we was in the Treme, we was young. My mama had a nice place for us to always rehearse. And it was our rehearsal place in the Treme. And everybody, and plus my grandmother and my mom and them were always cooking gumbo and red beans and rice and all that. And so everybody would come by because uh, they know we always had something going on at our house. And plus this goes back generations with our family. The musicians was always uh, friends of our family. My uncle and them was musicians with Thatch Domino. Uh, Papoose, Walter Nelson, and Prince Lala, my grandmother brothers. So they always had musicians in and out. And when we come up playing music, I guess the musicians, they like our family. My grandfather always had musicians with him. So it was always something to come to our house because we had the hottest house in the Tremere. <laughs> okay. Now we listen. Literally, um... We literally had the hottest house in Tremere. <laughs> All right, I got it. Our so, house was on fire. <laughs> okay, now, uh, I, one of the things that this event has contributed to is the um, helping the uh, St. Augustine Church um, because oh, yeah. challenges from these storms. And I Absolutely. know that some of the money that was raised as part of the patron party was raised to help the church. To what extent have you been involved or your family been involved with the church? All oh, people in my family went to that church before we born. And my grandmother used to go to the church. My mama would go there. And other family members would go to the church. And for me, Father Ledoux was uh, always inspiration to us. He always inspired us, Father Ledoux. And we played at the church. He let us come and play at the church. 
but he was always uh, uh, very encouraging. And he was a wonderful man just to talk to and to be around. And he loved the culture at Trevay. So, you know, a lot of people talk a lot about what are called culture bearers. Do you consider yourself and your family culture bearers? And what does that mean to you? I mean, that expression gets used a lot these days by, you know, official people. But is, is that something that you focus on that you, uh, that's part of your thinking about who you are? Absolutely. In some ways, uh, I would say when they say culture barrier, I would, to me, that means somebody who grew up in the culture, you were raised in it, and you want to see it continue on. And you put your hand out and reach out and grab someone else and bring them into the culture. Right. That's, 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 that's a beautiful way to say it, because that's, that's kind of what New Orleans is all about that I don't think a lot of people realize is how much people do exactly what you said, put your hand out and help the next guy. And grab the next guy and bring him along, whatever instrument they play. To me, that culture barrier, it's a strong word, what they use when they say culture barrier. So that means someone who come up in whatever neighborhood of the city, and you was a part of the, the second line, you was a part of the Mardi Gras Indians, you were part of the baby dolls, you were a brass band player, and you grew up with your family and somebody pushed you, and now you where you can push somebody else. What do you feel about the future of culture bearers now? Um, uh, 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 do we still, uh, we do have a lot of, let's admit it, we all know gentrification in Treme. Um, are you at all worried about the uh, continued uh, influence and, and uh, impact and, and um, uh, life of culture bearers? Or do you feel like it's so strong that even with gentrification, it's going to survive and be the dominant um, influence in Treme? Well, I think we are we're at that point where the gentrification then pushed all the people out of Treme. You can walk in Treme now. You don't see no kids playing in the street no more. We have none of that no more. We have all the people coming with Airbnbs all over the Treme. But the thing, the good thing about it, we have what you call Tuba Fat Square. It's on uh, St. Philip and Robertson. It's Tuba Fat Square next door to the Candlelight Bar. So we do have that place where we can, we still have the, the people meet up at Tuba Fat Square in the Treme, and it's all we got is Tuba Fat Square that's left where we can uh, gather and everybody can play music and we could start the second lines and end it right there. And also we have Congo Square that's always there. But for inside the Treme, we have only the Tuba Fat Square. Are you serious? Are you, you feel like your territory, in a sense, has been shrunk to just that square. Absolutely. Wow. And all the people, all the people who are from Treme, they live other places now in the other places, but they always come back to Tuba Fat Square. That's like sacred ground for us. Well, when you say they're living other places, what do you mean? Like other parts of the city or outside the city? Other, what do you mean? Other, in this other parts of the city, 
and outside the city. People come from far and near to come back to Tuberfat Square. So do you feel as, uh, because of that, because of that one, and I've seen Tuberfat Square, it's just a corner, really. It's um, just a corner lot, but the ground is big and uh, the uh, spiritual and culture wise, it's a big space, but it's a, it's a lot right on the corner. But spiritually and culture wise, it's, a, it's huge in our heart. James, you're a poet. And, <laughs> and you are definitely a poet. And um, have you ever um, documented or written uh, for, for, um, for a book or for uh, some kind I have of a book. It's called Born in the Trimhead. How do I know? I have know a book. That? It's called Born in the Trimhead. And it's in French and English because I play a lot in France. Wow, that is, oh, that's so important for me to know. Where can you buy that? You can get it at the Louisiana Music Factory. Okie doke. I'm gonna have to do that because I need to, I need to hear that to hearten me that what we've had is not gonna go away, that is gonna survive. So you feel like, again, I just wanna make sure I understand that despite the fact that the territory that is identified with the culture bearers and the culture of Treme has shrunk. Despite that, you feel like it's going to continue. Absolutely. We got so many young people coming up that's playing the New Orleans traditional style and they're doing their thing with the traditional style and it's gonna continue for another generation. So, so um, let me just let me just uh, push this a little bit further. So, um, the young people you do feel are still as influenced by the old culture that influenced you today as it happened for you, and you see that continuing. But can I ask you? If you wanted to tell folks what you need to help that happen, what would you say that is? Uh, I would say to continue that, I would say uh, uh, help help support uh, the New Orleans Musicians Clinic because they're there for the musicians with that. And they do a great job of helping musicians. And we got uh, the Backstreet Museum is on the corner now from across the street from Tuba Fat Square. And they're doing a great job keeping the legacy going on where people could come and see and feel the traditions and the culture. Anything else? The Musicians Clinic, Backstreet Museum? Yeah, and we also have Trombone Shorty Music Academy. And Troy is doing a great job with young people too, Trombone Shorty. He's doing a great job of uh, helping to educate and introduce a lot of young people to the music and the culture of New Orleans. You know, you you sound you always were this way. You always were, as I remember you from way back. You know, I don't want to say how many years, but one of my favorite memories, of course, is you playing on the back of a pickup truck for my. Um, my campaign for for my candidacy for um, 
uh, city council, which uh, <laughs> I, I lost Jackie yeah. Clarkson. Yeah. I understand that, you know, the West Bank always kind of wins out over uh, Treme, you know, that, but so. Yeah. And she's done a good job. She did a good job. And so yeah, she did. And she's but, a friend um, of the culture and the musicians too. But but your spirit, your optimism, your hopefulness, and I see that in so many other people, the people who really are full of that optimism and that spirit, they're the ones who keep it all going. You yeah, thank you. I'm and still so like I'm, that. I'm, I'm a share in honoring you, uh, the honor that the Treme Festival has done. Now, for Treme Festival is coming up this weekend. Which yeah. Can you tell me about that? Oh, we're going to play music. We're going to second line. We're going to uh, do the first annual second line. And then we're going to uh, we're going to play music. I have my band. We're going to open the show at the uh, yard by the church over uh, by the church over there. Right. St. Augustine Church, and we're going to open the show. We're going to play some music from our culture. We're going to play some music from the Treme. We're going to play some some great New Orleans music. I can't wait. And um, despite all the health issues that I've been dealing with in my family, I will make a point of finding, you know, a little um, a little camp chair and get myself yeah. out of the corner with the old ladies. And oh, we'll, have a, we'll have a seat backstage for you. Yeah, we'll have a seat backstage for you. Oh, that, you know, I'm not one of those people who has to be, you know, in the back room, you know, with the, yeah. with the shots. I don't have to be there. I just want to be there to, to watch the music and hear the music. And yeah, we're going to have a great time. They have a great lineup of musicians. It sounds great. And we'll, we'll have some details in our newsletter that'll uh, yeah. uh, build on that. But I think the, the second line starts by the church, isn't it, by around 11 o'clock? Yeah. Right? 10, 30, 11, yeah. yeah. Sometimes I can remember a couple of details, only sometimes. Sometimes I can't remember my own name. Okay. I am so crazy about, I, I insisted that you were the one from this event that I wanted to interview because we haven't, seen each other face to face in too many years absolutely you you know you passed my house i'm sure plenty with all the red stuff right every day okay so I'm on you, that, every you, day. Need to, you need to blow your horn or call out yeah. and say hey gene are you home and then so i can say hello okay yeah i passed every day i'm always in the trip please please uh sh give us a shout yeah so thank I, you for I everything my friend in the flesh yeah. Thank you for everything and thank you for supporting our culture and our music here in New Orleans. Oh, uh, and, and James, thank you for making it happen. Thank you. Have a great time this weekend. All right. I will. Everybody come on out to the trim It's going to be on fire this weekend.
Erin Antonak is um, the curator at the Contemporary Arts Center. And the CAC, um, you know, as we do at the in the fall, um, kicks off the new art season. And um, there's a really couple of interesting shows that the CAC is opening this weekend. So I thought we should catch up on that and let folks know what's happening and invite people to come. Um, one of the shows, let's start with Water. Is that the name of it? Yeah. Um... I actually, so there's two shows going up and they're kind of related. And I was okay. hoping to talk to you about them in this way. Do it, um, do it your way, please. Okay. Um, so we have two shows opening. One's called Responsibilities and Obligations, Understanding Mitakoye Oyasan, which I'm totally destroying this word, but it is a Lakota word. Um, it's a show curated, it tra roughly translates to We Are All Related. Um, it's curated by Laylee Long Soldier, um, Clementine Bordeaux, and Mary Bordeaux. Um, and they're all um, Lakota women. Um, Lakota so Lakota tribe. is a particular um, Native American nation, right? Yes. And so they're, they're based out of South Dakota. Um, okay. And so basically, this show is talking about language and how we view the world. So, how we view a rock, our relationship to the rock, our relationship with water, and how in a lot of indigenous languages, there are words that express how we are related um, to what, what many Western considers non living things. Um, and so, I'm kind of using this as a, a way to kind of view the water show. So, you, this show is going to talk about our, the Lakota words specifically and talking about indigenous relationships to non-living things. So that's the first show that's gonna be on the second floor. Um, and it's a lot of recorded video, a lot of stories from elders talking about this. Um, and it also includes the artist, Michaela Patton um, as well. And so then it's going downstairs to the, the main floor is gonna have the show Water. So you're gonna kind of experience the show at the CAC with the top floor first and then moving into the, to the first floor. Um, and it's a show about water. It's in really kind of looking through this lens of what are our responsibilities and obligations to water um, as a Gulf Coast community, as people, as like, what are our relate, who owns water? How old is water? What are the histories of water? Um, kind of giving water a voice um, from a first person narrative um, and really looking at yeah, what are our obligations? What are our responsibilities as people, as stewards, as um, people who are incredibly dependent on this resource? Um, and, and you know, it's a kind of a resource that we all take for granted. Oh, yeah. And that moment where there's a real challenge, like a serious drought, and, and, and there's an area where people literally can't get water, it, it has a whole different relationship with us in the sense of, of realizing how totally interrelated and, and dependent we are on this, this other <laughs> aspect of life. Yes, absolutely. So it's really, you know, it's a really pretty broad show. Um, we have a lot of videos, a lot of projections. We're talking about um, water protests. We're talking about um, warnings. Um, we're talking about um, creation stories based on water. Um, we're talking about, there's a couple pieces based on drought and what happens when you're a water watercolorist and know in a place where there's a drought, how do you kind of re-interpret um, your working styles? Um, a lot of like who owns water in terms of like our water sources are being polluted and yet the remaining fresh water is being bottled and sold for profit. 
Um, and so who, who owns that water though? That's free flowing. And, and, and even you may have some people who are higher up on a river say than others. And that those people kind of, I don't, it's, it's, a, it's a weird verb to use, but gobble up that water and, and starve the people below on the river. So that's a common occurrence in America. Yep. And we're, talk, we're talking about levying. What happens when you levy a river? Is that suddenly the river can't do what rivers do and you lose wetlands, you lose, and that affects people downriver. It affects people on the coast. Um, what happens when the pollution's dumped upriver? Um, that affects people downriver, that affects people thousands of miles away and not necessarily the people upriver or the people at the place where that's happening. Um, we're talking about um, damming rivers. What happens to the fish? What happens to the people who are dependent on the fish that come through those places in order to, to breed? Um, you know, it's one of those things that you don't, you don't, like, as you said, like, you don't appreciate it until it's, it's scarce. Right. And, and it's complicated. I mean, all of the things that you just listed, every single one of them is, is complicated. Mm -hmm. And um, it's complicated also by basic issues of equity. Uh, there's a whole layer, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, some of the, the, the exploration in the show is talking about um, who, you know, one of the artists, um, Jose Villalobos, is, does this piece about how um, U.S. Border Patrol along Mexico were dumping, people were putting water out in the desert for people coming over, um, and the Border Patrol was dumping out water when they would find it in the desert, which was being sourced, put there for people who are desperate for water. And like, who owns that water? Like, why suddenly that becomes a thing, you know, who controls the water definitely has the power. Um, and so we're talking about issues of um, human issues. Who, who gets to drink the clean water? In a country where we turn on the tap, and in most cities, this is not true of all cities in the US anymore by far, um, we get clean water. Um, and so it's easy to take that for granted. But um, so we're, we're looking at it in a lot of different kind of ways, but the fact that we were so dependent on it. So we're kind of trying to see it as a relation, as a, a family member. Mm -hmm. um, worthy of taking care, being taken care of, who's been there since the beginning of life and who will be there at the end of life or will cause the end of life if we don't have access to it. And, and, um, and, and it makes incredible sense, of course, for us to be exploring this in New Orleans where um, water is both our um, deep need again, our friend and, and the place where all our crawfish and our shrimps and our fish and, and um, uh, the livelihood of many, many people comes from, come from. But at the same time, um, it, uh, the way we have built the levees and, and tried to protect ourselves from the flooding that comes with big events has a long-term impact on the wetlands and, 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 and compromises everything. So, I mean, that's always been to me, the real challenge of living in this area is that conflict between its source of life for at so many levels, and yet at the same time, um, you know, a source of extreme danger. And, and uh, they just go hand in glove. They, you know, you yeah. can't have one without the other, basically. And I, I, I talk to a lot of people now who keep saying, oh my God, you know, is there a future for our area? On the other hand, it seems to me that there are so many creative people in this region who, who just 
care deeply about it and want to be here and want to be part of this, um, you know, uh, very long uh, cultural uh, legacy that we have. And sometimes we talk about it in terms of a few hundred years, but it really goes way back thousands of years with the um, Native American mm -hmm. uh, nations that lived here before that. So um, it's, a, it's a, a real dilemma. So how, how does your show help us think about all that? How does it move the needles, so to speak, in our brains. I don't know, we don't have any needles right. on the brain. <laughs> how does it help us? Uh, how, how does your show help us to grapple with these conflicts? Well, I think that um, the reason I wanted to pair it with the show coming from South Dakota and from Racing Magpie, which is the host um, gallery that put it together originally. Um, Information. Racing Magpie. Okay. Go ahead. Um, the reason I wanted to pair it with Racing Magpie's show um, is really to give a new lens. You know, you talk about the First Peoples um, and First Nations um, that have been here, you know, for thousands of years. Um, you know, to really look at um, how they use this region and the limitations they saw in the region, and how, and really, you know, trying to trying to give a new lens of how to view our relationship with this region and with this water through this first people's perspective of like the relationships with water, if that makes sense. So, so I wanted to kind of introduce that kind of con conceptually um, before giving this view of water. So we're looking at some of the, the same problems we've seen. We're looking at some of the, um, uh, the, some histories and some unique experiences with water and first person stories, but I'm hoping that being able to give it that first shift in kind of conceptually understanding that we're gonna view water as not a problem and not a resource. We're gonna to try to view water as a relative, as a family member, as a community member uh, with rights, with rights, with its own history, with its own um, properties, with its own, you know, the water doesn't wanna stay levied. The water wants to do something else. Like it has its own will. Um, and so to kind of try to think of it in terms of a relation in that way, we start, I'm hope, the hope is that we can start to view it as having a personality, as having a history, a family, um, and, you know, just really trying to gain more respect for it, the, the way you would treat your neighbor. And, and you mentioned um, when we first started talking about the, uh, the notion of, um, the relationship between, again, our uh, Native Americans and things that are, not, you said, not live. So um, I, I think water you probably want to view as live, but say a rock, a dirt, there are other things that are theoretically not live, but right. they're critical for life. Right, so, absolutely. Well, even like viruses are not considered alive. It's, it's, what? Viruses are not considered alive. Viruses cannot reproduce on their own. They need a host. And so this is another thing, like our, we've just been completely ravaged by this virus that's not considered a living thing because it cannot reproduce on its own, which is how we so narrowly define life on earth. Humans define life as being, you need to be able to reproduce independently and viruses cannot do that. Well, so this little, way, I have a lot of respect for viruses. Right, exactly. I mean, I always joke that this non-living thing is what's going to wipe us yeah, out. They're actually um, brilliant. Think about how this, 
this um, pandemic that we've been living through and all of these variants that keep coming along. Man, one variant is, is uh, we, we barely figure out how to um, close one off and, and it reinvents itself as a whole new thing. I mean, absolutely. How can but it's you not alive. It's living. <laughs> yeah, we respect it now, don't we? I mean, yeah. and this is the thing is like, until we're able to, it's like, it's almost like we need to be, feel those negative kind of forces before we react where we should be, you know, we have to blow up levees because we're scared of what the water's doing before we can start talking about what's maybe uh, like a more proactive approach to our relationship with water. Um, it's a, I feel like we're, we're so reactive to like the negative as opposed to um, going forward with the, in a positive way or in a um, pr proactive way. Got it. Now tell me how a, a person walks into the CAC right now with this show opening, what can they expect to actually see and experience uh, uh, to underscore the points you're making? Okay, well, the first thing you're going to see when you walk into the CEC and one of the, the big projects we've been working on is the mirror shield project. So you'll be walking in the curved wall are actually, um, they're made with um, masonite, mirror, mirror film and rope. These simple, uh, I think they're four foot by two foot mirror shields or shields with like a mirror. How do you spell that word? Mirror, M-I-R-R-O-R. -R -R. It's a mirror. Mirror, <laughs> mirror, um, and that is a piece that was um, conceptually from uh, Chanupa Hanska Luger, C A N N U P A Hanska H A N S K A Luger L U G E R, who's also a Lakota artist, um, and that was not by design. That was just it's, it's a project I wanted to do. So uh, Mirror Shield project was started in 2016 on the front lines of the, the DAPL water protests out West to protesting the water, the oil pipelines um, in the First Nations communities. And um, the artists started creating these shields that were mirrors to reflect back so that when they're holding them on the front lines, they're reflecting the, the police officers um, and the military's faces back at themselves, kind of reflecting their humanity back at them. Um, and a lot of the times the front lines are filled with elder women. So there's these women, elder women in, in dresses on these front lines with these heavily armored in riot gear police officers. And it's kind of showing the absurdity of like the situation. They're fighting over water, clean water. Um, so what we did was on Indigenous Peoples Day at Grodat Youth Farm, we paired with um, a bunch of intertribal indigenous people and made our own mirror shields. And that's what's on display at the CAC. Um, and we have, one of the, intriguing. Yeah. we have one of the videos from Chinupa, um, Water Serpent, which was a shot by drone. Um, it's a, a performance piece done with mirror shields on the front lines um, at, at one of the protests. And at the end of the exhibition, we're gonna pack up the mirror shields and they'll be sent to the front lines of a protest somewhere um, oh, for, for water. So they'll be used yeah. Um, and so that's like kind of like the first thing you'll see when you go in um, mm -hmm. is talking about like how our obligation to protect water um, and how you can actually help protect the water um, through this mirror shield project. And it'll have the history of the, the artist and kind of the movement. Um, and then you'll see a video by Angela Foz, um, who's an artist from Texas. And um, 
basically there's a river in Texas called the Arcacosa. I can't remember the the common name of it, but that is the indigenous name. Um, oh, the Brazos, it, is it? What's that? It's not the Brazos River, is it? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Um, I can send you the name of the thing, but it it's basically a, a first person perspective history of the water of this river and um, through a video animation. There's a lot of video work in this exhibition. Um, I think video work has, because of the pandemic, maybe there's there's more um i've just been receiving a lot of more interesting video and um, projection kind of pieces and it's, um, uh, it, it fits so well with the cac since the cac from jump from the beginning it was always dedicated to multidisciplinary work it extends throughout the building is that correct so yep, people, there's a lot of art to see yes and, um, i think people are going to be moved by this is what it sounds like to me because Again, taking something that is so important that we take for granted and, and really uh, shining a spotlight on it and having people really try to grapple with it. And I think it's really important that you've chosen to work with Native Americans who have a very different relationship with nature in general and specifically with both living and non-living. And I don't understand enough about it, but you know, we all have a sense of it. We, we, we look at the kind of lives that that we see even in the most um, conventional presentations of what um, life was like um, in this hemisphere before Europeans arrived. So um, I, I just think it always interesting to really go back to the people who lived here before we brought all that stuff from <laughs> Europe here. Right. I mean, they've uh, they've been on this land, and you know, my people are from New York, but um, we have ties to the land that go back thousands of years and um, there's a lot that was learned in a culture. Our cultures were built around the land. And so, you know, they're, it's, they're tied in a way that they can't exist without each other. And, and so that's what the show, you know, show's really talking about is how there's language to describe the things here because this is where it, the language originated. Um, Aaron, this opens on Saturday? It opens on Friday. Friday. Friday, Friday, October 21st, 630 to 9. Both shows will be opening and they'll be open until February 26th. Okay, so we have a good chance to see the work that's yes. in there. It'll be up for um, a little bit. So, so this is great and um, I'm very excited. I, I, it feels this fall, not just at the Contemporary Arts Center, uh, but the next person we're going to be talking with is uh, doing a show at the Ogden that's also very interesting. And I, I just feel like things are kind of exploding in, yeah. in our city. And um, I, I just wish we had uh, a few more of the conventional media folks attuned to it, but we're working on that, right? We're all yeah. working on that. <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and Thank for you. the show that you're doing and for being in New Orleans. Of course. Because you were here, you went away, and you came back. Of course, we all do that. Yeah, let it come. <laughs> Thank you, Jean. All right. You take care and have fun this weekend. Thanks. All right.